This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. When you scrape the bottom of the barrel, keep digging. Keep digging through the wood, the floor, the soil, whatever is underneath. Dig long enough, and you're bound to find something that will change everything. Anyone else feeling nip in the air, intrepid listeners? This shade senses the ambience of autumn creeping in through the cracks of our sinister establishment, and it is a most welcome sensation. This is a special time of year for Midnight Marinera, as it lets us harken back to days of old, of haunting nostalgia for a bygone time. Hmm, makes me a little sad for some reason. That being said, tonight's play is a touch different than normal. Admittedly, our pasta reservoirs are a little, uh, empty at this time. So we figured we'd try another classic recipe, and this with a dash of humor thrown in. We turn you now, back to New York City, near the dawn of the 20th century. Five zero one zero. Hmm? What is it? Visitor here to see you. That's odd. I didn't think I was allowed visitors here. Well, you are now. Right this way, sir. Good afternoon. Sorry about the abrupt intrusion. Not at all. I, I, I welcome company, though I, I definitely wasn't expecting it. Yeah, well, this is a bit of an impromptu setup. My name is John. I'm a writer. I was hoping to do an interview with you. <laughs> Bit of a surprise. Are you here to question my sanity, too? No, although I am curious about how a gentleman such as yourself ended up here in Sing Sing. I was told there was an interesting story to go along with it. I'm told you are Marmaduke Fitztappington DeWolf, originally from Pelhamhurst by the Sea, Warwickshire, and that you came here from a distinguished family with good money. <laughs> I, yeah, I see my reputation precedes me. See, I'm here looking into this prison to write a story, and earlier I spotted you making shoes with the other inmates. You stuck out among your brutish-looking companions, so I asked my guide about you. He said that you have a two-year sentence for stealing a set of silver spoons, but you pleaded innocent all the way through. I just thought I would grant the benefit of the doubt and hear the story from you firsthand. Yeah, at least some of that is true. And I, and I am innocent, but I also know the rules are strict. How did you manage getting in here? Let's just say I made a contribution to the pension fund under the management of my guide, and here I am. <laughs> oh, well, fair enough. In that case, I'll, yeah, I'll talk to you. Goodness knows I haven't had a sympathetic ear in some time. Much obliged. Uh, what should I call you? Well, I'll tell you that... Prisoner 5010 is a pretty ugly moniker, so is, uh, so is Marmaduke Fitztappington DeWolf. My real name is Austin 
Merton Serenus. You gave a false name, eh? <laughs> you don't suppose I would give the authorities my real name, do you? I'm a nephew, and if my poor aged uncle, a rich millionaire, but nonetheless, if that uncle were to find out I'd been incarcerated, it would break his heart. And his will. He'd be so mortified, he'd surely die. It's one of our family traits, that. So I gave a false name to the authorities and secretly informed my uncle that I was about to set off on a walking trip across the great American desert, requesting him not to worry if he did not hear from me for a number of years. That explains why they were unable to cable anyone in Pelhamhurst. Exactly. My uncle, being an Englishman and a conservative gentleman, addicted more to reading than to travel, accepts the information as voracious and suspects nothing. And when I'm liberated, I'll return to him, and at his death she'll become a conservative man of wealth myself. See? But if you're innocent and he's rich and influential, why not appeal to him to save you? I I was afraid that he, like the rest of the world, would decline to believe my defence. It was a good defence. The judge had only known it, and I'm proud of it. But ineffectual, and so not good. It's true, sadly. This is an incredulous age. Why, would you believe that even my own lawyer thought the defence was complete rubbish? I mean, what chance could a man have if his lawyer didn't even believe in him? None, I reckon. And you had no chance at all, though innocent. I did have one, though I chose not to take it. Plead insanity. I have too much dignity for that. I told my lawyer that I should prefer a felon's cell to the richly furnished flat of a wealthy lunatic, to which he replied, then all is lost. And so it was. I read my defence in court, the judge laughed, the jury whispered, and I was convicted instantly of theft. But I'm told you were caught red-handed. Sure, they were in my hand when I was arrested. So what possible defence could you have when all evidence points to... They were a gift! And that's the worst part of it. They, they, they were not given to me by the owner, but by, by a lot of mean, low-down, practical joke-loving ghosts. Ghosts? Listen, I can give you my defense. Hell, I'll happily tell it to you if you're indeed a writer and intend to publish this. The world should know. But this story? It's copyrighted. Fire away, then. And if you're worried about copyright, don't be. I'll give you a royalty of what I get on the story, should it go public. All right. Well, in that case... To begin, I need to go some way back. When I was a boy preparing for college, I had for a chum a brilliant, fun-loving fellow named Hawley Hicks. His mother often asserted that he would be a great poet. His father thought he was born to be a great general. Our headmaster at the Scarberry Institute for Young Gentlemen prophesied the gallows. They were all wrong. Though for myself, I think that if he had lived long enough, almost any one of those predictions might have come true. The trouble was that Hawley died at the age of 23. Fifteen years passed. I was graduated with high honours at Brazennose, lived a life of elegant leisure, and at the age of 37, broke down in health. That was about a year ago. My uncle, whose heir and constant companion I was, gave me a liberal allowance and sent me off to travel. I came to America, landed in New York early in September, and set about winning back the colour in my cheeks. Two days after my arrival, I set out for an airing at Coney Island, leaving my hotel at four in the afternoon. On my way down Broadway, I was suddenly startled at hearing my name spoken from behind me. Austin? Austin? What the... Holly Hicks? It it can't be you. Ah, but it is me, old chum. Holly, I... I thought you were dead. I am. But why should a little thing like that stand between friends? Well, I mean, I mean, it, 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 it shouldn't. It's, I, I just, it's, it's, 
condemnedly unusual, you know, for, for a man to associate even with his best friends 15 years after they've died and been buried. Do you mean to say, Austin, that just because I was weak enough once to succumb to a bad cold, you, the dearest friend of my youth, the closest companion of my school days, the partner of my childish joys, intend to go back on me here in a strange city? Holly, not, not a bit. Any, anything you need here, it's at your disposal, but I feel like the partner of your childish joys ought first to be informed how the deuce you managed to turn up in New York 15 years subsequent to your funeral. Is New York the hereafter for boys of your kind, or is this some freak of my imagination? That was an eminently proper question. It was indeed, and, uh, Hawley gathered as much. It's neither, mate. Your imagination is all right, and New York is neither heaven nor the other place. The fact is, I'm spooky, and I can tell you, Austin, that it's just about the finest kind of work there is. If you could manage to shuffle off your mortal coil and get in with a lot of ghosts the way I have, you'd be playing in great luck. It's for the hint, but, but to tell you the truth, I do not find that life is entirely bad. I get my three meals a day, keep my pocket full of coin, and sleep eight hours every night on a couch that couldn't be more desirable if it was studded with jewels and had mineral springs. Hmm. That's your mortal ignorance. I lived long enough to appreciate the necessity of being ignorant, but your style of existence is really not to be mentioned in the same cycle with mine. You talk about three meals a day as if that were an ideal. You forget that with the eating, your labour has just begun. Your meals have to be digested, every one of them. And if you could only understand it, it would appall you to see what a fearful wear and tear that act of digestion is. In my, uh, life, you are feasting all the time, but with no need for digestion. You speak of money in your pockets. Well, I have none, yet I am the richer of the two. I don't need money. The world is mine. Here, see that jewel over there? If I chose to, I could pop in there, nick the entire window display, and pour the contents into your lap faster than you could say Bob's your uncle. But why bother? The gems delight my eye quite as well where they are. And as for travel, Austin, of which you have always been fond, the spectral method beats all. Just watch me. And he was off like a shot, flying away into the horizon. I watched him as best I could for a minute, and then he was gone. Another minute passed, and just when I was thinking I had imagined the whole thing... Back. Oh, well, I suppose you've been around the block in that time, eh? Yeah, around the block. I have done the continent of Europe, taken a run through China, haunted the Emperor of Japan, and sailed around the Horn since I left you a moment ago. I should mention that Hawley has always been an honest fellow in life. He abhorred lies, so I believed him right away. That was pretty fast traveling, though. He'd make a good messenger. <laughs> That's so. Should have suggested it to him. You were always fast, but I never thought you would develop into this. I wonder you're not out of breath after such a journey. Another point, my dear Austin, in favour of my mode of existence. We spooks have no breath to begin with. Consequently, to get out of it is no deprivation. But I say, enough about me. Where are you bound? Oh, just to Coney Island to see the sights. Care to join me? Afraid not. Coney Island is tame. When I first joined the Spectre Band, it seemed to me that nothing could delight me more than an eternal round of gaiety like that. But I've changed. I've developed a good deal since you and I were parted at the grave. I should say you had. I doubt if many of your old friends would know you. You seem to be having trouble with that yourself, old chap. But see here, give up on Coney Island. Spend the evening with me at the club. 
You'll have a good time, I can assure you. The club? You mean to say you visions have a club? I do indeed. The Ghost Club is the most flourishing association of choice spirits in the world. We have rooms in every city in creation, and the finest part of it is that there are no dues to be paid. The membership list holds some of the finest names in history. Shakespeare, Milton, Chaucer, Napoleon, Caesar, Washington, Mozart, Confucius. Yes, it's a magnificent list. And I should say they made a pretty interesting set of fellows to hear talk. Oh, I wish you could have heard a debate between Shakespeare and Caesar on the resolution, the pen is mightier than the sword. It was immense. Really? Which one? The sword party. They were the best fighters, though on the merits of the argument, Shakespeare was way ahead. If I'd have thought I'd stand a chance of seeing spooks like that, I think I'd give up Coney Island and go with you. Well, that's just the kind of chance you do stand. They'll all be there tonight, and seeing as it's ladies' night, you might meet Lucretia Borgia, Cleopatra, and a few other feminine apparitions of considerable note. Well, then that settles it. I'm yours for the rest of the day. So we adjourn together to the rooms of the Ghost Club. Did you have to go far? Not terribly, no. I'm, I'm sure if you consult the court records you'll find the address, but I've, I've forgotten it. What I can tell you is that the building wherein the Ghost Club was meeting has a beautiful, large brownstone house, and if the outside gave any hints of the luxuries therein, I was still scarcely prepared for them when we went inside. Here we are, then. Welcome to the Ghost Club. <laughs> Pretty fine, eh? I see you've taken a shine to the furnishings. Well, considering that you can get along without money and that all of the resources of the world are at your disposal, it's not more than half bad. I'm pretty sure some of these paintings are one of a kind. Painted posthumously, actually. By the artists themselves. Impressive. Tell me, have you a library? Alas, old chum, we have no library. Hmm. Rather strange that a club to which... Men like Shakespeare, Milton and Poe belong should be deficient in that respect. Not at all. Why should we want books when we have the men themselves to tell their tales to us? Would you give a rap to possess a set of Shakespeare if William himself would sit down and rattle off the whole business to you any time you chose to ask him to do it? I fancy not. Are you in such luck? I am. But between you and me, I rather like to sit down and hear Noah swap animal stories with David Crockett. Noah is the brightest man of his age in the club. Amazing. That all of these people are here as ghosts. You don't know the half of it. Here, let's get you acquainted with a few. We'll pop into the music room and see who's there. I meant to ask, is Solomon among you? He was. Sad to say, Solomon resigned from the club. He was a good fellow, but he thought he knew it all until Dr. Johnson got hold of him and then he knuckled under. It's rather rough for a man to get firmly established in his belief that he's the wisest creature going, and then, after a couple of thousand years, have an Englishman come along and tell him things he never knew before. I can imagine. Good Lord! What is that? Excuse me, but we do prefer to be referred to as a who, and then as Your Majesty. Oh, uh, uh, uh... Beg pardon, Your Majesty. My associate here is not much used to meeting royalty. Very well, good Sir Hicks. We can forgive this one's apparent audacity if it was merely a mistake. Is he new to the club? That he is, your ladyship. He's merely struck with horror crossing paths with you. Right, Austin? Uh, yes, yes, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. It is all right, we do have that effect on people. Now, if you'll excuse us, we simply must speak with Cleopatra before it gets much later. 
You really do have to be more careful than that, Austin. That was Anne Boleyn. Yes, but she had her head tucked underneath her arm. And best you don't mention it to her, she's very sensitive about it. Not all us ghosts coming out looking exactly perfect, and Anne's one of those cases. Poor thing hardly ever leaves her sulking about the Tower of London unless it's ladies' night at the club. Well, uh, sorry if I made things awkward. Uh, can, can, can we press on? Indeed. We're here, in fact. Who's that playing the piano? None other than Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. My word. Who knew he could make Daisy Bell sound so beautiful? He does like to brush up on some of the newer tunes every once in a while. He doesn't just stick to classical. The maestro is decomposing. (laughs) (laughs) We all are somewhere, Edgar. Austin, meet Edgar Allan Poe. Sir, it's it's an honour to meet such an illustrious author. Please, the pleasure is mine. I'm touched people still read my work. Afterlife treating you fair these days, Edgar? Never better. I was actually telling Coleridge earlier that, had I known how grand the afterlife was, my writing might have turned out very differently. You mean Samuel Taylor Coleridge? The same. A good fellow, but he could stand to liven up a bit. (laughs) Get it? Yeah, I get it. My apologies, Austin. A bit of ghost humor. Oh no, no, no nothing to uh, to apologize. I mean, I'm the I'm, I'm the odd man out here, so it, you know, being alive. <laughs> we can soon fix that. What? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I wasn't being serious. Here, Wolfgang. Give us a bit of dance macabre, will you? Sense, sense is a hit. Oh, please? Yeah, please. You can do it your own way, Wolfgang. Fine, fine. But then he goes. Don't expect me to give him my blessing to join the club. Oh, fantastic. I'll say. Holly, forgive me for asking, but... How did you manage it? Hmm? I mean, to, you know, to get into this club and to be so acquainted with all of these famous ghosts, I get the feeling, you know, it's fairly exclusive. Oh, you can give me a bit of credit, Austin. You have to understand that being a spook means having potential for the rest of eternity. My natural charm and charisma have only gotten better in death, and it won over the folks here at the club. It's all about how you present yourself. That's why, as your old chum, I want to show you what I've been able to achieve since I shuffled off the mortal coil. And there's still more where this came from, let me tell you. After that, Hawley took me upstairs and introduced me to the spirit of Napoleon Bonaparte with whom I passed about 25 minutes, talking over his victories and defeats. He told me he could never understand how a man like Wellington came to defeat him at Waterloo and added that he had sounded the Iron Duke on the subject and found him equally ignorant. Eh, intriguing. Eventually, Hawley left me to see some of his spectral compatriots and I was able to explore at my leisure. So the afternoon and the evening passed. I met quite a number of famous ladies. Catherine, Mary Louise, Josephine, Queen Elizabeth and others. Talked architecture with Queen Anne and I was surprised to learn that she never saw a Queen Anne cottage. I took Peg Woffington down to supper, and altogether had a fine time of it. 
Alright, but Mr. Serenus, I fail to see what this has to do with your defense in the trial for stealing spoons. I was getting to that! It... <sighs> I dwell on the moments passed at the club because they were the happiest of my life, and I- I'm loath to speak of what followed. But I-, I suppose I must. It was all due to Queen Isabella that I got into trouble. We were in the supper room having a chat. The tomato is quite possibly the best thing to come out of Columbus's expedition. Did you know that it is in fact a fruit? That I did, madame. It's hard to imagine what life would be like without it. Shame I cannot enjoy them like I used to. But I shall always cherish the memory of a tomato. There's lots to be cherished about this club, really. I still cannot quite get past how exquisite everything is. Oh yes, this branch of the club is particularly charming. Even the smallest detail is not ignored. Take that set of silver spoons on the sideboard, for example. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they are of old Spanish make, correct? You have quite the eye for detail. Yes, indeed, they are Spanish. I admire such, honestly. It is quite a nice set. Oh, Ferdinand will appreciate hearing that. Ferdinand! 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 Ferdinand, you big off, come here! Yes, darling. Is it important? Columbus and I were about to play a hand of poker with Magellan and Leif Erikson. Mr. Serenus admires our spoons, Ferdinand. Sir, they are yours. Waiter, just throw these spoons up and give them to Mr. Serenus. Oh, no, no, I, 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 <laughs> I couldn't possibly... It is a rule of our club, sir, as well as an old Spanish custom, for us to present to our guests anything that they may happen to openly admire. You are surely sufficiently well acquainted with the etiquette of club life to know that guests may not with propriety decline to be governed by the regulations of the club whose hospitality they are enjoying. I certainly am aware of that, my dear king, and of course I accept the spoons with exceeding deep gratitude. My remonstrance was prompted solely by my desire to explain to you that I was unaware of any such regulation, and to assure you that when I ventured to inform your good wife that the spoons had excited my sincerest admiration, I was not hinting that it would please me greatly to be accounted their possessor. (laughs) Your quarterly speech is ample assurance of your sincerity, and I beg that you will put the spoons in your pocket and say no more. They are yours. You're very gracious, Your Majesty. Thank you. Think nothing of it, Mr. Serenis. I was glad to possess such treasures, though I must confess to some misgivings as to the possibility of their being unreal. Shortly after this episode, I looked at my watch and discovered that it was getting well on towards eleven o'clock, and I sought out Hawley for the purpose of thanking him for a delightful evening and of taking my leave. Ah, there you are. Had a good time? I most certainly did, Hawley, but I'm afraid I must depart for the night. I wanted to thank you for inviting me to the club. It it truly has been an evening to remember. Well, old chap, I'm glad you came. It's always a pleasure to see you, and I hope we may meet again sometime soon. Say, what have you got there? Uh, Oh, these? Oh, just a set of silver spoons. Uh, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella gave them to me. Oh. Oh, dear. What? I I mean, I I, I didn't want to take them, Hawley, but, but Ferdinand insisted. Oh, no. It's all right. Only you'd better get along home with them as quickly as you can and say nothing. And above all, don't try to sell them. But why? I'd much prefer to leave them here if there's any question of the propriety of my... Hey, stop pushing! Look, mate, you'd better get a move on or there will be trouble. Right then. 
Farewell, goodbye, so long, don't forget to write, etc. Well, that was rude. Could have at least seen me off without having to rush me. Hey, what the devil are you doing here? I've just left the club. It's, it's all right, I was, I was Hawley Hicks' guest. Whose ghost are you? What the hell are you talking about? I, I tried to give you a civil answer to your question, sir. Then either you're crazy, or a thief. You've got my spoons in your hand. Sir, these were a gift. You are talking to a gentleman, and I don't take remarks of that sort from anybody, spook or otherwise. I don't care if you're the ghost of Emperor Nero. If you give me any more of your impotence, I'll dissipate you to the four quarters of the universe. See? Ow! That was when he grabbed me and shouted for the police, and I was painfully surprised to find that instead of coping with a mysterious being from another world, I had 210 pounds of flesh and blood to handle. When the police did arrive, I tried to explain that I just exited the New York branch of the Ghost Club, but the man who held me claimed it was his house, and, and when he went back to open the door and confirm, I saw nary a spook or haunt through the hallway. Not to be rude, but do you wonder if maybe you fancied the whole thing up? I did, as a matter of fact. You see, the thought suddenly flashed across my mind that if all was as my captor said, if the house really was his and not the ghost clubs, and if the whole thing was only my fancy, the spoons themselves would turn out to be entirely fanciful. So I was alright. Yeah, at least I thought I was. When I arrived at the station house, I was dumbfounded to learn that the spoons were all too real. I told my story to the sergeant and pointed to the monogram GC on the spoons as evidence that my story was correct. But even that told against me, for the alleged owner's initials were GC. His name, I withhold, and the monogram only served to substantiate his claim to the spoons. Worst of all, he claimed he'd been robbed on several occasions before this, and by midnight, I found myself locked up in a dirty cell to await trial. All right, I think I understand where you're coming from now. You were set up. Indeed. I'm not rightly sure why. I do not think Hawley is to blame, though. I see now what Hawley was trying to do, speeding me along, and acquit him of any intention to be rude. Though, I must say, if I ever catch him again, I'll wring an explanation from him for having introduced me to such bad company. Well, all I can say is I understand now how everything was stacked against you in this case. I tried everything. I begged my lawyer to subpoena Ferdinand and Isabella and Hawley Hicks on my behalf, and all he'd do was sit there and shake his head. Then I suggested going up to the Metropolitan Opera House some fearful night as the clock struck twelve and to try to serve papers on Wagner's spook, all of which he treated as unworthy of a moment's consideration. And you've been here for almost a year now, correct? Yes. I have one strong hope to buoy me up, though, and if that is realised, I'll be free tomorrow morning. What's that? The whole horrid business has been so weird and uncanny that I'm beginning to believe it's all a dream. If it is, why, I'll wake up find myself at home in bed. I've clung to that hope for nearly a year now, but it's getting weaker every minute. Yes, Mr. Surinaz, that's a mighty forlorn hope, because I'm pretty wide awake myself at this moment and can't be a part of your dream. The great pity is you didn't try the insanity dodge. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's the last resource of a weak mind. And thus ends our story, intrepid listeners. We hope you have enjoyed this comical tale of sordid spooks. We feel that April 1st does not have to be the only time of month we do a so-called funny episode, and that our... Pardon? Oh. Oh. 
What do you mean they're disappointed? This isn't creepypasta? You know we don't just do creepypasta exclusively these days, right? Do you know how much effort we put into this story? We start running low on creepypasta, so we try something different. Our listeners surely care enough... Listen, I work my bones to the bone for this, finding the finest eerie fiction I can, and they're complaining because this isn't the bloody Harbinger experiment or Ronald McDonald House or Jane the Killer. I need a break. Well, that's all we have, and I'm not putting that tripe in front of our distinguished and discerning listeners. They can go to a bloody narrator type on the internet for that, but this is a classy establishment, dammit. Actually, no, no, you know what? I do have a creepypasta for you, intrepid listeners. Yes, I know some of you are still listening, some of you loyally, and a few of you impatiently. But even so, I surmise that you are wondering what exactly goes on into this show, hmm? I bet you think that all these stories are pretend. But guess what? This one is for real. How do I know? Well, I know because I am looking at you, and I know all of your secrets. I even know your favorite animal. One day I looked at you in the bathroom. Maybe I would break something and tell everybody it was you. There is nothing you can do to stop me. But guess what? I am a dead skull! Hello. Pasta Shade. Anyone home? Alas, abandoned. I come all this way to see an old friend and he's conspicuously missing. Hmm. Well, you know what they say. Out with the old, in with the new. The show must go on. <laughs> Midnight Marinera is a monthly podcast written, produced, directed, and mixed by David King. This episode featured the voice talents of Ben Patton, Michael Malconian, Jason Cates Cheverst, Kira Buckland, Nick Barbera, Katie Patterson, and Matt Hawley. The voice of the ringmaster is Xander Mobus. The Ghost Club is based on the short story by J.K. Bangs. Comments? Suggestions? Terrified musings about the scratching from inside your closet door? Please feel free to leave us feedback wherever you listen to this. Email us at midnightmarinera at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter or Tumblr. And hey, if you want to contribute a little something to the show and raise merry hell, consider becoming a patron and supporting Midnight Marinera's Patreon page with a small monthly donation. Special thanks to recent VIPs TJ Dosh and Katie St. Pierre for their generous donations this month. And thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>